Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you can find it. And also, you can stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreeview.com, which is where you can find full links to the show notes and guests. If you want to support the show, there's a support link in the description of this very episode, which has a direct PayPal link, as well as a link to the Amazon wishlist. If you wanted to get something directly for the studio, that would be fantastic. Uh, and also follow the podcast on social media at About Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On this week's episode, it is going to be a brief one, even though I say that frequently, and then I forget that apparently I like talking. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a brief one by myself once again in the studio doing a solo episode. The first movie review is going to be for Queen and Slim, and then the last review is going to be for Knives Out, both movies which are going to be in theaters this week as you are listening to this episode. So yeah, that is going to be on this week's episode. I feel like I said episode like five times just in the intro. Off to a blazing start. Uh, all right, so before we get to all of that, we'll go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. As I mentioned, I'm going to keep this one a little bit brief. It is landing on the holiday week. So those of you who are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving, uh, this is a brief one. So you can spend more time with your friends and family. Uh, this year is the first year that I was not able to really coordinate the annual tradition of the No Shame November episode. I had a couple different guests lined up at different points, and then scheduling just got crazy because of the holidays. So there will be a No Shame November episode. It will just be coming out in December because that is how I roll. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about with the No Shame November, definitely check those out. Uh, that is an annual tradition that I have done on this show where I talk to various guests about things that we enjoy for whatever reason, and we use this as a safe space to talk about those things and get ridiculed by the other people in the room. So I will be doing that type of episode coming up soon, uh, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, go check out those past episodes, the hashtag No Shame November episodes. Uh, they are always a lot of fun. Um, but the other thing also, right at the top of the show, I have to give a shout out to a local educator, Deborah Prail, who is an instructor at Shoreline Community College, as well as the Seattle Film Institute. So she actually attended the Seattle Film Summit, the Seattle Film Summit panel that I put together 
the Diversity in Film Criticism panel. She reached out to me and was like, hey, would you like would you like to and are you able to come in and talk to my film history class at Shoreline Community College? It was a huge honor to get invited to that. Granted, it was like less than 24 hours notice, so I had to shuffle some things around. But to have the opportunity to talk to students and members of the community about film criticism and diversity, not only in film criticism, but in wider film terms as well. It was an honor. It was really, really cool to do that. We spent about a little over an hour uh, with the students. Initially, like the Q&A section, I was thinking maybe like 10 minutes or so. The Q&A section actually lasted almost like 30 minutes. It was great. The students were really engaged, asked some really great questions, not just about kind of how do you start a podcast, but about finding your voice as a film critic and how that process goes. So thank you, Deb, so much for inviting me to speak in front of your class. It was it was a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, that is something that will be recurring, and I will stop in and talk to some more students. So yeah, just wanted to give that shout out real quick to, to Deb and the great work that she is doing at the Seattle Film Institute and Shoreline Community College. Now, on to the first movie review of the episode, and that is Queen and Slim. Now, this is directed by Melina Matsukas. Uh, Matsukas, written by Lena Waithe, by the screenplay. She did the screenplay. This actually was written, like the story is done by James Frey. Now, that is a name that I had not heard in a long time, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I was trying to place it. And then when I was talking to a colleague of mine, Kathy, we were talking about this film. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, James Frey wrote that. And, and I was like, yeah, I cannot place the name. A Million Little Pieces. You know, the book that got torn to shreds on Oprah a few years ago caused a huge controversy because of, well, blatantly lying and creating a lot of things. So he does get a story writing credit on this, but Lena Waithe truly did the screenplay and put in the work to get this on on film. So this story is basically, I mean, as it is described on IMDb, a couple's first date takes an unexpected turn and a police officer pulls them over. That is a very simple description, and this has been talked about, and a lot of critics are talking about, this is the Black Bonnie and Clyde. But really that kind of actually downplays the message and it kind of gives the wrong impression of these characters that we follow through this movie. Now, what is interesting is this movie is called Queen and Slim. Not once in the film are either of the characters referred to as Queen or Slim. There were multiple times when, as the story progresses, I was kind of waiting for some character either on the newsreel or somebody that they encounter on their road trip would kind of give them that moniker. Nobody does. We only really find out Slim's real name at the very, well, actually both of their names at the very end of the movie, their real names. So that was an interesting choice. And it definitely felt like that was a conscious choice. And even in the film, you know, a character does call them, the Black Bonnie and Clyde. So it is not like random critics and, you know, reviewers came up with that on their own. Somebody in the film mentions that. 
personally, I don't know. I, I It kind of bothers me a little bit, mainly because Bonnie and Clyde, if you know that story at all, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were getting into. They went out with intent to rob banks and to commit heists and to be these kind of wanted vigilantes. Or not even vigilantes, fugitives. That is not what Queen or Slim intends to be. After they get pulled over, when they go on this first date, which that first date is not going well, they most likely would not have gone on a second date just based off of the interactions we see on this first date. But because of the events of the film, we see that relationship grow and evolve right in front of our eyes. And that is where some of the interesting performances and the choices that the characters do come about. Because of this accident that happens when Slim gets pulled over after their first date when he is taking her home, we basically get, I mean, like I mentioned, they probably were not going on a second date, but because of this incident, when they get pulled over, they have this kind of forced compatibility and forced vulnerability between them. Like they basically are on the run right away. Very quickly into the movie, these strangers are on the run together and they definitely have some cantankerous moments within that. But the bond that they develop as they are just literally trying to survive are fascinating. And again, like I was talking about before, the Bonnie and Clyde comparison, they were not trying to survive. They were trying to get away with things and they were trying to push the boundaries. Quinn and Slim literally are running for their lives. Like they have no idea what the repercussions or they kind of do what the repercussions are of the incident that happens, but they just have to keep moving. And in this film, like the passion and violence go hand in hand when they're talking about this kind of systemic oppression, because as they are forced to bond over this tragedy, they have no intention of becoming heroes. They have no intention of becoming martyrs. They did not want this spotlight. But that spotlight is thrust upon them. And when they do start seeing newsreels, and when they do start interacting with people who know about them, do not know them, but know about them, and they have this kind of hero status, and both of them feel very uncomfortable with that in several points of the movie. Only very briefly do we get a moment, maybe two moments, where one of the characters somewhat embraces not necessarily what they did and the events that took place after that and the repercussions of that, but at least they own that moment in being like, okay, we are at least safe right here in this space because they know who we are. Not for what we stand for, because they truly were not trying to stand for anything. It was an accident. It was a, a crime of passion. But at least they were safe within that moment. Again, that was fascinating. The leads, like I talked about in this movie. So you have Daniel Kaluuya, who is just crushing it. 
I mean, this guy over the past few years has had incredible success and deservedly so. Like he is really good. You also have his counterpoint, uh, Jody Turner Smith, who is still kind of on her progression, on her journey. She has not been in a ton of things, especially not to the level that Daniel Kaluuya has. But she is so good in this film. And again, their chemistry is interesting because we see them going on this first date together, which is awkward and weird, like most first dates are, as we see both of their armor start to kind of break down, you get these very nuanced performances from both of them, and you get this chemistry between them that is very unexpected, especially based off of how it starts. So that awkward chemistry is just, yeah, it definitely is different than your typical narrative where they go on a first date, everything is great, oh no, a tragedy, it only makes them closer, they fall in love, all of these things, all those tropes, the awkwardness of these two as they build that relationship was a welcome change and a welcome just surprise. So yeah, great performances, music was fantastic. Again, this is Pretty much a first-time director. Melina Matsukas is very, very well-known, incredibly well-known in the music video category. She did Beyonce's Formation. She has worked with Rihanna. Incredibly well-known director for the small screen. This was a big swing to go from those to a story like this, especially a road trip story where you have these allegorical moments where they're going from Ohio, where the story starts, down south, and the goal is to get to Florida, and the goal is to get other places, you get these moments where, you know, Slim is talking about how beautiful it is and everything. Meanwhile, Queen looks out of the window, and she sees a chain gang, you know, from a prison, doing labor, hard labor in a field. And she was like, really, though? Like, is it beautiful? So getting those different perspectives where they are going on the same path, going the same direction, but their viewpoints are so different, yet they have this great chemistry. So, yeah, Queen and Slim uh, in theaters today as this episode drops on Wednesday the 27th. Uh, Definitely go check this out. The rating system for this podcast, if this is your first time listening, uh, if you're one of the students who is in the class that I spoke to, welcome. As I said, try not to go back to listen to like the earlier ones. The audio was bad, things were awkward. Just listen to the new ones. They are much better, even though I talk to myself in the studio and ramble on about films. But if this is your first time, the rating system for this podcast, only three choices, good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something that you are excited to talk about, excited to tell your friends about, You really just want to spread the word. A bad film was something you came out of the theater and you were not super impressed. It was just kind of a movie. Did not really move you in either way. Uh, And an ugly film, avoid at all costs. Queen and Slim, uh, directed by Melina Matsukas, Matsukas, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Jodie Turner-Smith, gets a good from me. I will say this movie is not without its flaws. 
you know, it is not a perfect film by any mean. It does kind of dredge a little bit in parts. It has a little bit of some pacing issues, I would say. But it's still, you know, you worry about these characters. I was constantly worried about them because even though they made mistakes, you know, they were not malicious. And so, yeah, there are some interesting things. A couple plot points really did not, I think, work as well as maybe the intention was there for. But overall, great performances from these two. A very poignant story, just kind of about one incident that can set off a nationwide uh, kind of movement. Or not necessarily start a movement, but continue a movement even when you have these reluctant heroes, these reluctant idols. So yeah, Quinn Slim gets a good from me. Next film on the complete opposite end of the spectrum is Knives Out. This is directed by Ryan Johnson, who uh, definitely has been very busy, especially coming from his indie roots, you know, with Brick, and then you have Looper, oh, and that little thing called Star Wars, Recently, yeah, uh, Knives Out is your classic whodunit murder mystery with an ensemble cast that rivals just about anything we have seen this year. I mean, you you folks, you listeners have heard me talk about stacked casts before. This has Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Ana de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, Jadine Martin, Catherine Langford, Frank Oz. Like, this is a crazy stacked cast. But what is interesting is even though all of these actors are very well known, and all of these actors, we can immediately pin them to a certain role that we know them in because they're they're well known. It is going to happen. All of them are still so unique and still so nuanced that was what made this ensemble cast to me really work the plot of this movie so christopher Plummer, you know he is the leader of this family his name is harlan thromby he is a critically acclaimed and incredibly wealthy crime fiction writer a murder mystery writer not just a murder mystery but a crime writer he has this massive empire and he dies. I mean, shocking. It is a murder mystery. You knew one of them was going to die. And I think it is in the trailer that it is him. (laughs) So from his death, it sets off these massive repercussions through every member of the family. Because as we have seen before, when it comes to wealthy families and these types of things, as soon as conversations of a will get brought up and what goes to who and who gets what, things get real awkward real quick. During all of this, we get this murder mystery and we get people on multiple sides trying to figure it out for their own selfish reasons. Obviously, I mean, everybody in this movie has at least one ulterior motive, if not multiple ulterior motives. Daniel Craig plays Benoit Blanc. He is a private investigator who is brought in, who is hired to find out what really happened, if there was anything nefarious with, you know, Harlan Thromby's death. 
So he gets brought in. Lakeith Stanfield, you know, plays one of the kind of the local cops investigating this. So this dynamic between Daniel Craig and all of the other characters is fascinating. Daniel Craig, like most European actors, I'm not going to say that European actors are better on the whole than American actors, but I will say almost all European actors can do American accents better than American actors can do European accents. It is just science. Not really. I just made that up. But it really seems that way. In this one, Daniel Craig is not just doing an American accent. He has this Tennessee drawl that kind of when he first starts talking is very distracting because it is very foghorn, leghorn, you know, I say, I say, you know, type of thing. But it works. Like he sells it from beginning to end. And you just kind of fall in love with that character. So that dynamic was really interesting. One of the characters in the film actually calls him like, I think, Detective Foghorn or something like that. So that was really solid. But to me, the real star of this, and it, it, I mean, it is no, ah, maybe it is not a surprise necessarily, but Ana de Armas, who is a fantastic actress. She is originally from Cuba and then lived in Spain for a while. She was in Blade Runner 2049. She is in the upcoming No Time to Die. Uh, she was in Hands of Stone, the Roberto Duran movie from a couple years ago. She is fantastic. There's something about her. So she has this innate ability to give some of the best on-screen crying that I have seen in a long time. And it is not like Tony Collette and hereditary, like, hysterical crying and then able to, like, flip the switch and be you know, in a totally different mindset. It is more like this sympathetic, yearning, crying, where she is just looking at the cameras, you see it just well up into her eyes, and then it just starts pouring out. That is pretty incredible by itself, and yet every time she does it, it feels natural. It never feels forced. It never feels like, all right, we need to do the 10th take of Anna crying and go. Like, it just, it feels very organic. So she plays the nurse to Harlan Thrombey, who had been with the family, you know, for years, been taking care of him. All of the family members knew him, knew her, but not many of them accepted her for various reasons that get explored uh, during the movie. But what is interesting is every layer that got peeled back in this murder mystery was a satisfying addition to the story. They're really, I mean, for, for an ensemble cast this big, realistically, there was only one character who did not really get to do much, and that was uh, Ricky Lindholm, who played Donna Thromby, the wife of uh, Michael Shannon's character. Like She is the only one who really did not get a lot to do, but everyone else in this ensemble gets multiple moments to shine and gets their own little twist and their own little story, which adds to the overall murder mystery. One of the hallmarks to me of a good murder mystery, actually most good movies in general, starts with the score. The score that they put together for this, that Nathan Johnson, who 
is Ryan Johnson's cousin and has worked with him on practically every single one of Ryan Johnson's films. He did the score for this, and this score is arguably my favorite score of the year. It is the perfect blend of old school, like string quartets, piano solos. When you close your eyes, if you go on YouTube, and there's actually a playlist for the whole uh, score, which is amazing. If you go on YouTube, start that soundtrack and close your eyes, you can immediately see black and white films. You could see sepia tone films. Like it is very Daphne du Maurier, you know, mystery music. And it fits perfectly, not just with those old school style murder mysteries, but this one in particular, like it just works. Even in a contemporary film, certain tones and string quartets, it just, it played beautifully for this film. So I, I just, I had to give a shout out to, to Nathan Johnson for that. But Anna is really the one, going back to her, <laughs> is really the one driving the movie. It is her actions and reactions that really cause everyone else to spiral in one way or another. Eh, mostly another. So that by itself is really interesting. Everyone else gives a stellar performance, even the ones where, you know, most people in an ensemble cast like this, maybe you could phone it in a little bit because you are relying so much on everybody else around you. But I never really felt that. I felt like everyone really held their own weight and kind of pulled their own punches. Not pulled their own punches. That is the wrong expression at all. At all. I am a mess. It is late at night and I'm in the studio by myself, which already feels weird. It always feels like I'm going crazy. But, uh, yeah, everybody pulls their weight. Not pulls their punches, pulls their weight. That is what I wanted to say. Uh, Chris Evans is definitely kind of the oddball of the family, the rebel, the one that never really wants to be involved with things. Uh, well, actually, Jaden Martel, Jacob Thromby is definitely the oddball. He is kind of a young alt-right Nazi and gets called that multiple times by multiple members of the family. So that is an interesting wrinkle. But I loved the layering of this movie. I thought it was done really well for a murder mystery, even though you can kind of start to see some of the cracks here and there. You you know, there there is a lot of maybe not forced exposition, but th there is a very simple gag that they do with Ana de Armas's character, uh, Marta, which I thought was kind of going to pay off in a different way than it actually did. But that is on me and, and my own kind of leanings towards that character's motivations. But this was definitely really satisfying. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty solid. So, my official rating for Knives Out, directed by Ryan Johnson and a stunning cast that just go on IMDb. They Just look them up. You know everybody in this movie, practically. Uh, even Frank Oz. Like, Frank Oz plays a lawyer in this. And that was great just because I like actually seeing Frank Oz, not just hearing his gajillion voices from my childhood of every Muppet character that I loved or every Sesame Street character. So, yeah, it is always nice to actually see him in a movie and not just hear him behind a puppet. So yeah, my official rating for Knives Out is a good. Definitely enjoyed this. Ana de Armas' performance and the score easily are the highlights 
of this film. Ryan Johnson does a great job directing this crazy talented cast and kind of reining them in and giving them all a chance to give great performances. But yeah, the score and Anna are the real stars of this. So there we go. A quick wrap up. Uh, Queen and Slim, I gave a good two. And Knives Out, I just gave a good two. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your plat- podcast platform of choice. Subscribe on social media. What am I doing? Uh, follow on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube.com slash About to Review. If you want to reach out to the show uh, and have me come to your classroom and talk about diversity in film criticism or just being a film critic, you know, in the current day and age and kind of what that is, uh, definitely reach out to me, about to review at gmail.com. You can find me there. Super easy. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. It means the world to me. Like I said, if you are celebrating the holidays this week, have a safe holiday, have a happy holiday, definitely eat some food, spend some time with family, watch a ton of movies, which is what I'm going to be doing. Uh, Studios are sending out screeners like crazy because our deadline for the Seattle Film Critics Society Awards is coming up in a couple weeks, which is crazy. So I will be watching a ton of movies at home. Hit me up with your favorite holiday movie suggestions and we will have a great dialogue about that. I may or may not make fun of your choices, but that is okay. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion, even if that opinion is about crazy Hallmark movies, which people love. So again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to Deb, the instructor at Shoreline Community College and Seattle Film Institute for having me in her class. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves